Hello and welcome to Birth Trauma Training for Birth Workers, the podcast with me, Dr. Erin Bell. Now, guys, I have a secret to tell you. I don't want to tell you, but I'm going to tell you because I think it might be helpful in framing today's conversation. So when I was researching um, about interviewing my guest today, the delightful Sheridan Byrne, I wanted to appear knowledgeable and open-minded and all those things and not have biases and, you know, but at the same time, like not not get into trouble, not have my little ego damaged. And I think something I've realised, interestingly, in going back over the recording, is that even though we are talking about gender diversity and LGBTQI families, I didn't use that term once the whole time we were talking, um, as in I didn't actually say the term LGBTQIA+. Because I think subconsciously, I was like, oh, I don't want to get it wrong. I don't want to get it wrong. I don't want to offend Sheridan. I don't want to offend everyone. So I just, I just won't say it. And I think that's just one level of avoiding stuff that you know you don't know. And I think not wanting to, it's that thing that sometimes health professionals do. It's like, oh, I want to be seen as right. I want to be seen as the expert. I've done all this training. I don't want to put myself into positions where A, I have to do more study and B, I'm maybe going to look like an idiot and that I don't know anything. And it's just more stuff to learn. Like there's all different ways to look at it. But I think some of us potentially just have a bias right there and that we don't want to approach the information that we need to know in order to work in a trauma-informed way because we don't want to look like we don't know something or we don't want to be um, seen as the person who doesn't have the power, which is interesting because, you know, when Sheridan and I were talking about birthing people later, like your birthing client or the family that you're working with, they're the expert in their birth and definitely the expert in their own gender and sexuality and how they want to parent and how they want to bring their babies into the world and all that kind of stuff. So we should really, like if we're really genuinely working in a trauma-informed way, be excited about the learning opportunity, excited about the possibility of learning something and finding the joy in diversity. So that's something we're going to talk about today. Not so much the oh, here's all the stuff that you're doing wrong. But going back to this idea of like, why did you get into birth work in the first place? The humanity of it, the joyfulness of it, that really this is a, it's it's an ever-changing fluid thing, right? And so getting the acronym right, okay, that's one thing. But maybe on some level, you're never going to get it 100% right because it's always changing and it's not you know, for one person to say, well, this is exactly the way it is. It's set in concrete because it's not going to be. So it's, um, it's funny. And I think I encourage you to think about some of the biases that you might have already, even if that's just in the, oh, oh okay, I'm aware of it, but are you actually doing anything to change your work and the way that you practice and where you work and how you support people? Um, because this is where we where we start. And I think one thing that Sheridan just does so beautifully, and I saw this even more so when we met um, a few weeks after speaking, because, you know, six degrees of Kevin Bacon, birth workers all go to the same <laughs> trainings and things. But she has like such a lovely presence, as in she's almost like a beacon of light going, here's a message. I'm just the vessel through which the message is passionately being shared. She's definitely not someone who has an air of um, arrogance or um, scariness or whatever you want to call it. Like, um, I have the knowledge you don't. I'm better than you. You're not better than me. Like, there's none of that sort of stuff that goes on. She's just here to share the message of love and light Um, and she's just such a wonderful person and I'm so happy I got to meet with her and this is you know another one of these things think about if you diversified your life and the people in it imagine who you could meet imagine who you could have in your children's life and your family's life who you otherwise didn't have you know have you ever met those people and gone oh where were you like eight years ago where were you how did I ever not have this person in my life so 
Think about um, expanding when you listen to this rather than contracting. I don't want you to contract and feel small and feel unsafe and feel like you're being judged or wrapped over the knuckles. Expand. Expand your chest. Expand your ribcage. And just be open. Open to listening and opening to learning. That's, that's my goal for you today. Hi, Sheridan. Thanks for joining me today. Hi, Erin. Thanks so much. I'm really, really happy to be here. This is such an exciting conversation to have and one that's not happening anywhere near enough, Mm. I don't think. Yes. Yeah, I tend to agree. (laughs) Yeah, it's, um, there's just, there's so much, so much to say. And I know, I think we're both in the same mindset of like, this is just potentially going to be a little pebble in the water in terms Mm. of all the things we could talk about, but I guess it's a starting point. So with that starting point, let's, let's get into this idea of unconscious bias. Mm-hmm. What can you tell us about what you know, what you've observed about our unconscious biases towards birth and birthing people? Mm-hmm. And so specifically within the LGBTIQA plus communities? Yeah. Yeah, so I think... There are many people, and I know you and I kind of talked about this uh, earlier as well, about that people who are in professional capacities who know, you know, they know what they're, you know, they're they're experts in their realm and hold a lot of expert knowledge and a lot of expertise and therefore they'll hold like what we know as referent power they they hold that power because they have that knowledge they tend to and what i've observed and the stories that i hear coming back from people uh when i'm kind of debriefing with people or just hearing stories in the community as well is that people will see themselves as holding knowledge and see themselves as being expert and and will bring uh, their biases and and because they have an idea of who they are mm. they won't they won't reflect on those biases. So they won't reflect on if they have judgment about certain people's lives or certain, or how people walk in the world or certain people's choices or even how people look or certain body types, uh, certain levels of ability. I've seen all of that play out and heard so many stories about how that plays out where the person who thinks they have all this knowledge and has all this referent power does not have the ability or hasn't hasn't been um, shown the benefits even mm. in reflecting on where they might have bias or judgment and therefore projecting that onto people that they work with. And because they hold that power in the space, they they continue to interact with people in a way where they're actually you know causing harm to those people. So people who are being you know prejudiced against or judged or discriminated against you know, will feel and will know what's going on. But the person who uh, has that referent power will, you know, just continue to operate in a, in a way where they're unaware and, or, you know, I, I mean, sometimes they, they might be aware, but making a choice to, um, you know, to continue interacting with that person while projecting that judgment. But the unconscious bias part of it is, is where people do have those biases and discriminate um, but but uh, are not re- you know re- not reflecting on that and adjusting their behaviour or unpacking that behaviour and seeing what it's what it's based in. Mm. And I think um, when we're talking about trauma as well, like all those different levels of perceived power, as in who has the power, who doesn't, and that sense of locus of control and feeling mm. out of control. There's so many different interplaying levels, layers, I suppose you could say, that come into play there. On that, I guess, sort of, yeah, broader note of even just the way that we invite people into a space, so say like inviting someone into the hospital space to Mm -hmm. birth, what are some things that you think potentially people are just not, aware of are not getting 
um, I don't want to say not getting right or wrong because I definitely don't want to make this like a polarising conversation about, well, this is right and this is wrong. But where are people missing the mark? I think people are missing the mark because in, in that they're not just meeting people where they're at firstly and also they're not they're not making the person they're not making the I don't want to use the word client or patient but the person coming for care they're not making that person the expert Mm -hmm. and and that seems to be the power struggle that goes on so anybody coming to for care no matter what profession you're in if you're providing care for somebody if the the only way you can provide care that is accurate efficient on purpose is if you actually make that person you're working with the expert in their world, they are the expert in their world. Mm. And so you need to be able to uh, invite them in and do everything to make sure that very quickly they know that that's the way that you're going to provide care to them, that they are the expert in their world and you're there to hear who they are to hear what it is that's going on for them and, you know, what are their hopes and dreams as well. And then, then only once you've heard who they are and, and ha- allowed them to tell you, you know, all of, all of who they are and all the intricacies that make up, uh, you know, their experiences, then, you know, then moving in and talking about how you can help them through that system or how you can provide a service to them. So really that seems to be the point that's missing, that there isn't that space. And, I mean, I know a lot of people work in a system, like people who work in the hospitals are working very much in these tight, tight timeframes and this system that really puts them under the pump. They're really, I mean, I would go as far as to say the hospital really makes, uh, you know, midwives and um, birthing professionals, makes them process people. Mm -hmm. And I think we need to, as individual practitioners, all pause and just say, this is not the work I came to do. You know, Mm -hmm. I need to get back to the work I came to do. And to really serve people and to be of service, we need to hear who they are and just remember they are the expert in their world. And you need to be able to be okay with being educated by them and be okay with being a little bit vulnerable and getting things wrong and having those conversations, apologize for things, go back in and say, look, you've just used a word that is new to me. Could you help me understand what that means for you? So making sure that we come back to what does this mean for you mm-hmm. and, and really making sure that we place that individual as the expert in their world. So I think that's number one mm-hmm. in the way that we invite people into the space and We do that in, you know, obviously in the way that we frame things up with people and the way that we communicate and engage with them Um, and also that the space needs to be inclusive of everybody and that, you know, there's space for people who are physical spaces that allow for people of differing abilities um, and, you know, there's spaces for different kinds of people coming into the space as well. I know that, um, you know, some... uh, you know, some places will make sure there's a rainbow sticker somewhere and things like that. And that that is good, like things that communicate to people when they physically come into that space, that that, you know, that does send the message um, that the that the space is inclusive for them, I mm. think is a good good first step uh it's a very small step and I mean I know there's a I mean I've heard so many stories of places that have you know rainbow stickers everywhere but then they don't have you know a very inclusive practice at all and you know a lot of people kind of not understanding so there's this real incongruence which is again really unsafe for people because once those stories are out there, oh, you know went into that hospital thought that this was a really inclusive space there's like posters and stickers everywhere but then you know um my partner was continually continuously referred to as a husband you know and they actually are a butch woman you know like Mm. the language and the level of understanding and the um you know the ability to hear the the person and hear their unique circumstances just wasn't there so you know it's great to have things that indicate this is a space where we're inclusive um, and and that's great and that's a very very small step but it can communicate something but if you don't follow that up by really communicating with these people as though you know it as as though you know that they're the expert in their world it, it won't actually do anything it'll do more harm than good actually because there'll mm. be that 
um, and that's really harmful for people. And I think um, on that note, would it be fair to say, like, I, I guess I'll chuck some phrases out that maybe people have heard of just to sort of get in the mindset of how it might feel putting yourself in the position of someone else, which we are so, like we say that we do it, but how often do we forget? So people mm. might have heard of, you know, the phrase male gaze and they might have heard of the phrase, um, oh, what's another one? like the colonial lens. Do we have, and I think I know what you're going to say, but do we have, <laughs> a hetero lens when it comes to birth? Uh, uh, yes. No, yes. <laughs> There's probably no other place, well, no other space that I've kind of worked within in my life where it is so entrenched in a hetero lens. There is, you know, and we would say that's that there is hetero, you know, hetero privilege in that as well. But the lens in birth is is absolutely heteronormative mm. yes absolutely and people know that you know of course um because it's not just that you know you don't just start to you don't experience that when you go into a hospital uh, you know um you know, into the maternity care sector in the hospital, but also everywhere. So advertising, the, the way the hospitals advertise their their birthing services. Mm, the brochures. Um, the brochures. The brochures. The colour. You know, yeah. there's a very hyper-feminised kind of um, approach to, you know, the birth is branded and it's branded in a way that is hyper-feminised and heteronormative. Mm. And that's message to those people who do not identify within that realm and it's and it clearly is sending a message of you don't belong here and we don't want you here Mm. so yeah even before you even before you start to try and engage you already have that you know that very strong felt sense like okay I'm want that technology I want that support you know I want to give my baby the best entrance into the world but I'm it's going to be hard. It's going to hurt, you know, it's going to be harmful for me to go there and to go to that space. But, you know, I, if I want to give my baby the best entrance into the world, maybe, you know, it's, I'm going to have to look at, you know, which of all these options mm. might be, the, um, you know, the, the least harm for me. And that's can be sometimes where people's decision-making comes from. Mm. And it's, I mean, again, back to the kind of layers, Birth is already a space where people are vulnerable. It's already a space where safety and a sense of feeling feeling like you belong and feeling like you will be kind of, I don't want to say taken care of or looked after, but like supported, supported and respected is hard enough anyway. And then if you've got previous trauma or you have the experience of maybe yeah, the mixed messages, the cognitive dissonance that happens where, like you were talking about before, there's a rainbow sticker on the way in, but then like everything after that is not at all congruent with what I was hoping for. When you already feel vulnerable and you already Mm. feel unsafe, it just adds so many extra things to think about that I think Mm. potentially for someone like me, to sit and be like, well, yep, I'm a heterosexual white woman. I haven't had to navigate the world so often in that, you know, sense of having to go, oh, I don't identify with these brochures. I don't look like the woman on the poster. I don't, like all that kind of stuff that I think it's, as you say, we don't, it's not an intentional like I'm going around like not trying to think about other people and not trying to be inclusive and not caring. But if you've actually never had to experience it, when mm. it's like it's not even on your periphery, I think this is something I suppose that we're sort of trying to get to. It's a, it's not necessarily, well, sometimes it is, a conscious choice that people make to not be inclusive. But I, I would hope, and, you know, if you kind of go for the like, you know, humans do better when they know better, that a lot of this is just people haven't even thought about this kind of stuff. Mm. Well, it's interesting because... You know, most people will say that. They'll say exactly that, that, you know, we just, people just are, and I do, I deliver trainings and this, you know, and when I'm delivering around this topic, people will say, oh, you know, people just don't know. And that's, that's true that people don't know. But yeah, you're right. There's, 
the the thing to remember is that you know being homosexual was in the DSM as a disorder, yeah. you know, up until the seventies. Nineteen eighty seven. Nineteen eighty seven is when it was Yeah. So and you still had a version I mean, we still have a version therapy now, like um in certain parts of the world. Mm. And that still goes on today. So it's not and I think this is something that people uh will kind of cling to a little bit as well, because to be honest, I think it makes them feel better. But that whenever you have a group of people who the intention was to erase them. Mm. And this is a group of people that we have to say the truth here, that this is a group of people who historically the intention was to erase them. Yeah. Then you have to remember that that still lives, that that, that, that still lives on in our experience of trauma, yes. you know, that, that people will say, oh, you know, things are so much better now. And, you know, and yes, there's progress. There's always, you know, there's been progress, but that doesn't change the fact that this is this is a, a body of people who are very diverse, um, you know, beautifully diverse uh, body of people who have the knowledge, who hold the knowledge still every day that they were uh, a group of people who were who were meant to be made extinct, you know. And we mm-hmm. say that about working with our First Nations people as well, Aboriginal people, you know the in you know the intention which was really not that long ago mm. was to make it and it is the same with um the people who identify under the lgbtiqa plus umbrella as well so that is a part of our history and that's still we're still progressing through that but we have not progressed to the other side of that and so when we talk about that people just sometimes don't know and there's almost I mean, in trainings I deliver sometimes to clinicians, there's almost this sense of the person who has the ignorance being the victim, like, oh, how am I supposed to know all those letters? And, oh, it's just too hard, you know, like, and oh, you know, as if I'm somebody who, you know, as if I would mean harm. But the bottom line is that there definitely are still people who are, uh, you know, who have judgment and biases and are, and, and that people that people who live, you know, who are from the LGBTIQA plus communities, people who identify under that umbrella are still being harmed. So there are still people being physically harmed. There are still gay bashings today. Absolutely. Still happens today. So it all exists all at the same time. So yeah, there definitely are people who are, if they knew better, they do better, but they, you know, and that they do need you know, just a bit more understanding or that they, you know, they could through, you know, these kinds of conversations even or, you know, hearing, you know, the things that you've got to say and we're going to say today will actually, you know, be able to do do better work. But that, you know, the reality is we have to know that there are definitely still people who will harm people for having those identities and living in their truth and that's still happening today. Mm-hmm. And so with these people we need to remember that that's a part of their experience that they they do still walk walk in the world we you know with that knowledge that there are people who will be hostile or who do want to cause harm Mm -hmm. um, but on the basis of they reject their identity or believe that they don't have the right to take up space or believe that they are mentally ill and actually it's so, you know, interesting that um, that I delivered a talk not so long ago, where somebody in the group actually said that that they said that they felt that it was a, a mental illness and that it wasn't the truth, and that the people you know who identify uh, in those groups are uh, I can't remember the word. I think that they might have used the word delusional, delusional. So that's you know mm. that was like back. <laughs> I know there's a I need, lot. I need a breath I need a breath <laughs> yeah let's all take a breath okay let's come back into our bodies <laughs> yeah it's it is the truth though isn't it yeah and I suppose you know Erin I mean I'm strong and I about this because I am passionate about that truth being told because there's a lot of 
you know, there's a lot of really good people doing really good work who kind of also hold that unconscious bias that you referred to earlier and, you know, and, and then and the reason they don't do the work is because they see it as an issue that's in the past that, that doesn't need work anymore. Mm. And so they let that go. And, you know, I, I feel, you know, you've, you've graciously allowed me this opportunity to speak with you today and, you know, to speak about this. And I, I suppose that's a wake-up call that I want to send to people. You know, I know that people who work in the realm of birth, they came, they came to do good work. And to do good work, you need to be able to first do no harm. Mm. So to first do no harm, you need to reflect on where are your biases and where could you be uh, harming, excluding, you know, not allowing access, demeaning, or even just speaking to people in a way that dehumanizes them. Mm. And it, it takes remembering that we're not out of this yet. It's not done. We need to continue to work and to do the good work you came to do and to serve in the way you came to serve. You need to you need to be able to position people as experts and check check your own biases as well. I think that it's it's a point I want to keep coming back to as well. We touched on it a bit earlier about this idea that for people who have spent a portion of their lives training for something, and I mean, you know, it's not about making a competition. Mine was twelve years, but you know, no competition. <laughs> you win. <laughs> I think sometimes there is this like, oh, fuck, are you really asking me to do more stuff? Like for some people it does create this real defensiveness in a, okay, I've already done all this training. I've already done, you know, whatever it is I wanted to study and came here to do. Why do I have to do more? And I think that is a split in an attitude of whether you see learning as a lifelong thing and you're always learning and you're always open and being being of that mindset means you're vulnerable it means you have to mark up occasionally and be like oh yep okay I have to check in with the fact that sure I got my degree however many years ago have I updated this specific gap in my knowledge since no Mm. am I required to no which is a whole nother that's a whole nother thing we could get into um but I think Letting some of that, um, what's ego, isn't it? Letting some of the ego down to be prepared to have someone say, oh, that's not really the way that I want you to talk about that. That's not quite the right language and not, um, I suppose, letting it be such a personal thing, as you say. Like it's it's something we can kind of sit here and go like, oh, wow, like that's egotistical to say it's a bit hard for me to learn some acronyms. I mean, hello, health science is full of acronyms. For a start, I'll say everything is acronyms. <laughs> so for a start, there's no escaping that. But that sense that sometimes people have who are maybe, and that's people who are vocal about it, like that's someone who's willing to be vocal. There would be a lot of people who are silently saying, yeah, that's more work for me to do. That's more, like, do I really need to do this? And I think if we talk about it from a really, you know, letting down the ego point of view of, we're never going to be done learning. There's no like, yep, you got your degree, that's it, you're done, off you go. Like it needs to be a continual process. And the conversation we're having about this now would be different 12 months, 18 months, five years from now. But it's mm. not a conversation that we can go, okay, cool, we've ticked that off ticked that off the list. <laughs> we've, we've covered that topic, um, much like it is when you do your uni training anyway. It's like, oh, we'll do our four-week module on this, right, done never come back to it ever again unless you're the sort of person who really is self-reflective and is really self-aware. And I think if you are self-reflective and you are self-aware, it means you have to look at the parts of yourself and of your practice that make you feel uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. But the other thing in that too, Erin, is I think people need to remember why they came to the work. And usually once you do that, you kind of get in, get back connected to the sense of joy, actually. Mm. Like you came to do the work because being a part of the birth, being a part of birth work was joyful and there's pleasure and there's this sense of excitement and, you know, you're a part of the, you know, new humans coming into the world and like the, there's so many um 
like so many conversations I've had with people where we, I kind of ask them to come back to whether it's in the birth world or whether it's, you know, other kinds of fields they're working in, ask them to come back to the values of, you know, the, the values that brought them to the work. And so many times they will talk about things like, well, actually I came to this work because I'm driven by the value of equality or empowerment or access or, um, you know, equity or whatever, like these values actually sit really well mm-hmm. within this, this idea that you are going to need to continually learn and grow. And I think what happens is like you come through these systems, so the, you know, the, like you mentioned, doing university and ticking all those boxes, that does, most people will talk about that that stuff feels like a chore, but when you come and, you know, and it will feel like burden and heavy and, yeah, like you called it work. But when you come to working with people and you come back to the reasons you wanted to do this work and then you remember that actually, yeah, you've come through that system and it is kind of oppressive and it does and it does feel like it depletes you and it, it does feel like a lot of work. But that, that shouldn't be what it feels like when you're actually wanting to do your work and live your purpose and serve in a way that empowers or give, you know, allows equity and access to people. It, it shouldn't be about that. Like when you really get into the juice of working with diversity and when you really get passionate about working with diverse people, this stuff is a joy. It's not, it's not really hard work. Like that's, that's the thing that I would love for people to take away, that this isn't something that makes you, um, you know, you shouldn't, you shouldn't have to feel like this is a burden to you. You came to work with people. If you work with people, then you're working with diversity. You can't kind of think about it being like a cookie cutter, um, you know, uh, production line. This is people. You wanted to work with people. Mm-hmm. You know, you didn't go to be an accountant. You went to be, you know, you went to work with people and help people heal and help people to lead better lives and help people to live their dreams. Like, and that requires you to get passionate about diversity if you want to work with people. And working with diversity and learning about people and understanding people will add value to your life. To have an expansive, expanded view of people gives you an expansive, expanded view of life. And you will be changed. Like you will be, um, you know, you will be different because of that. It allows you more, more ways to see yourself as diverse. It expands your view of the world and what's possible for you. It's win-win. It's actually a beautiful process. When, when I talk about pe- to people about having a diversity framework, the first point I put on the whiteboard is joy. Like get into the joy of diversity. This is the human race. You know, this is the human experience. And remember why you came here. You came here to, to work with the human race, to work with humanity. This is what it is. This is what it's about. And it can be about pleasure and it can be about, Uh, joy so you know actually get excited and get uh, passionate about diversity I think that's what the one thing that I would want to say to anybody listening to you know to your podcast today is this is exciting it's exciting yeah and changing be on the forefront of change you know be on the leading edge of change and expand, you know, you may just expand your own kind of networks because of it. And then who might you, you know, inadvertently in your day-to-day world allow into your world that you might not have before? And what value could that add to you and your family, to your children, to the whole community? You know, we want to be a more diverse community. It's, uh, you know, we can't continue to live in this way where we live in all these different silos, you know. And we can't continue to be people who provide uh, support and service and care to the community by saying, oh, the, you know, we are, you know, we are this, the, you know, this group or this body of people who provides a service and the people, the community are out there, over there, you know, like outside of us. Mm. We're all one community, you know, and so we need to remember that as well. So working with diversity and learning about who people are and allowing them to be experts in their world. If you're you're working with somebody like a client or a patient or whatever word you use, if you're working with a person who identifies in, you know, with diverse labels, you know, working, be working, I promise you, you'll also be working beside somebody who identifies with some diverse label as well. 
that mm. probably you would benefit from understanding them as well. So it's not just the people we work, you know, that we serve. It's also the people that walk alongside us that we work with and who might you become and who, who might you connect with and what more joy can you have in your world? That's the kind of thing that I think we need to be thinking of when we're thinking about this topic. I love hearing you talk about all of that. And the passion is just oozing out of your pores. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's pretty hot today, so. (laughs) There is that. There's a lot of oozing, yeah. (laughs) It's beautiful, though, because I love the way you bring it back to, like, just a really, oh, that makes sense, like a humanistic approach that Mm. really, again, if we take back to the idea of trauma and safety, Something that, you know, is a big killer of fear is joy, is warmth, is love, is compassion and making a space feel welcoming as much as you possibly can just because that's what any of us want, right? Exactly. Yeah. 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 We need we need to we need to continue to have a humanistic approach and we need to continue to be human and we need to, you know, remember that the people that we're working with, you know, a need to be able to educate us on what that means for them. Mm. That's so, it is so important. It is so important to come at this, I think, from an angle of where can I find growth? Where can I find positivity rather than it being like a, oh, I've got to go and do a seminar and I'm going to get like mm. wrapped over the knuckles because I haven't been using the right language and I haven't been doing the right thing. It's not about that. And I'm hoping that mm. this is what is shining through in the conversation is that there is a lot of shit to wade through, mm. but this is not about sitting and just complaining and venting and getting angry with no sort of um, end point. The end point is the bit that we came back to that we should go back to originally, which is, as you say, what is birth about? Birth is about oh, growth and joy and warmth and excitement and all of that stuff. It's It just makes good sense, doesn't it? It does, yeah. yeah. And I think the other thing I want to say too, this thing came up the other day in a training I was delivering and the pe- people were kind of a bit uh, hostile to the, you know, I gave them, this um, resource, which is like this umbrella. Um, it's a great resource, actually, if anyone wants to. Can I plug a resource? Absolutely. Plug away. Okay. <laughs> it's called Metro. Uh, it's oh, Well, you can look at one. If you look up gender bred person, this is uh, a great resource. It's been around for years, but I have noticed a couple of other places using it now too. And on, in, you know, on that website, actually, where the genderbred person is as well, it's called Metrosexual, and they have an umbrella. They they kind of have a visual that shows the umbrella of LGBTIQA, oh, cool. and they know like that that it breaks down because people were very confused about how this acronym actually contains both gender and sexuality. Mm. So sexualities within the one acronym and that that confuses people so the first thing I'll do a lot of times is unpack that that um that it is that's why people are confused you know but also that um what it's interesting actually talking to people who are medical professionals and having to have a really big conversation about there's a difference between gender and sexuality and that always blows my mind that people who are medical professionals don't get that so I'm like okay we're gonna come back to some 101 about like the difference between gender and and sexuality here but with the group (laughs) (laughs) that's pretty frightening in some ways but anyway maybe that's a whole other podcast but um the group I was working with the other day um, I handed them out this this um, resource which showed the breakdown of, you know, L is for lesbian and that's a sexual identity, you know, like um, so like breaking that down and people were kind of hostile and resistant to it. And when I really unpacked that and I kind of said like what's going on for you, what is it about this that really seems to make you feel like irritated or resistant? And what came out was people were saying we can't get it right. They just keep changing it. Uh, they yep. 
changing it. So you can hear in the language already. So, you know, that there is this exclusion, they, them, they're doing this to us. We're meant to be, you know, the expert and they're making it so that we can't feel like the expert. Like that really came out of this room and I was like, okay. And I had to laugh and go, right. <laughs> There's like this, uh, there's this, like this tug of war going on here for the, like the power, you know, like who holds the power over language right now? Because mm-hmm. the, the medical people in the room were like, we should hold the power over the language, not them. And they're just changing it to us to make us look bad. And I was like, okay, let's, let's really think about what's going on here. So yes, it is a changing acronym. It will continue to change. There's no expectation that you will ever know this you know, like, yes, you should know what the word lesbian mean. Yes, you should know what the word queer means. You should know, you know, these are words that have been around for a really long time, you know. So, yes, I would expect you can you can have an understanding about what they mean. Um, but two things there. One is it's going to mean different things for different people. So mm. you still do need to inquire. And the second thing is it's always meant to be, a, it was always intended to be a, a, a moving feast. As it, it was should, always- as language yeah. is. Like that's yes. just the nature of linguistics. Exactly. But also within that as well is that it is meant to resist a binary model. So it's meant to resist a form that means that people can be uh, boxed into just one identity. It will continue to move. It was intended to be growing, but it was also intended to be a form of resistance from the binary model. Therefore, it will continue to shift and move. There will continually be new words because people want to express that they have the right, the human right to choose their own sexuality, to choose their own gender expression, to choose their own gender identity. So you're never going to have this sense of it's done, I own this knowledge because the intention was always for you to not have a sense of that you own this knowledge and you own this vocabulary. So you're, you can be forgiven for feeling like you're never, it's never going to be done. You're never going to have a sense of expertise on this. You can have a sense of expertise in how you work with diversity and you can know some things, but it's always going to be moving. It's always going to be changing. There is new acronyms being put forward now that people, um, I think it's GSD, gender and sexually diverse. So the new acronym is GSD and some people are saying, oh, I want to start using GST, uh, GSD instead of. <laughs> There's going to be a tax on that, Sheridan. Yeah, going to be a tax probably, on that. <laughs> eventually. But, yeah, I mean, so you can't know everything all the time, but that just, I think, and, and I did see people's shoulders drop and people kind of exhale. And, and, and when I collected feedback forms at the end of that training the other day, there was like half the room had written on the feedback form, you know, what had improved for them and what they feel they were taking away was understanding that they're never going to know it and they actually have to work with their clients to yeah. understand what for them and that did give a sense of relief for those people in that room and I thought I thought that was quite interesting that that's the piece you know that was missing for them you're not meant to be an expert in this mm. because of it it's not yours to be expert in this is a, a an act of resistance in some ways you're not meant to feel like an expert in it so just get get with that like just get joy in that just be like wow I'm going to learn something every day and in fact I would say to people when you are working with people and you know either they've made you aware that they you know that their gender or sexuality is identified in anything other than cis or or hetero you know heteronormativity tell them say to them oh I'm really excited to learn more uh, about diversity I'm you know I you know I, I want to make sure I ask the right questions can you help me understand? I'm really excited to, to learn who you are. Like even just that, like imagine getting excited about working with the people that you've come to serve mm-hmm. and letting them know that you're up for learning. That's, that's really, that can be really, really joyous. Oh, that's, I think it is beautiful the way that you've explained that because I think you have exactly hit part of the nail on the head for what what has driven some of the resistance with people because we have this fundamental need to be right I suppose yes and I think you're right there you go you're right in saying that there is a lot of I don't I don't know if it's 
fear it's resistance of sorts as you were talking about with the if I get it wrong are people going to think I'm anti-gay or that I'm not making an effort and I think having that conversation around that it's not about getting it right it's not your job to get it right it's not even about being right it's just about being open right yeah yeah (laughs) yeah 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 and having a having a you know an approach you know we we work with frameworks we think about frameworks when we're doing any kind of care work or social work or you know working in the community we, we usually draw on frameworks and just really including that in your framework like and reflecting on how how do I include that? How, you know, how does that sit within my framework? And where where do I bring it in? And and how am I prepared to um, be be wrong and let go of certain things as well? Mm. And then you know, what what do I need to do for myself and what support do I need or how will I grow and learn from that or you know we need to, I think that a lot of us who do work in these systems as well, you know, a lot of times we kind of, you know, we've come to do this work and we're passionate about it, but we work in the systems which make us feel devalued and we don't have, you know, vicarious trauma and burnout is so high. And so sometimes we're just surviving the work, you know, but we need to remember that that's not the fault of our clients or the people that we serve or the people that we work with. That's the system. And, um, you know, to work with diversity is to kind of remind us actually that um, to remind us that actually we want to resist that, that uh, being oppressed by that system as, as well, you know, we're all in it together. So if we can kind of see where that s- systemic kind of abuse has taken place for ourselves as well and just kind of develop practices to make sure that we can stay well in our work so that we can continue to, to show up and, and serve and care for people, then, you know, we're able to, you know, we can just do better and we, mm. we get to thrive and we get to, um, you know, have these kinds of experiences. So let's talk about that. Talk to me, if you don't mind, about some of your own self-care practices as someone who is a birth worker. Mm-hmm. What are some of the things that you have done for yourself? It doesn't have to be like anything, you know, um, highbrow complicated, anything like that, unless <laughs> you've got something to share, particularly after a really challenging, traumatic, oppressive, if you want to go there, birth what's something that you would do as part of your practice to look after yourself well apart from like just the physical uh support um because a lot of times I'll need to sleep for a long time and because I do a lot of different work I kind of uh don't always have the opportunity like I might be booked in to deliver something you know and I've come back from a birth and I haven't slept so I've had that which is not always ideal but Mm. I have to, as soon as I can, make sure I get really good sleep um, and come back to good eating and good sleeping to just bring my body back to, um, you know, like the kind of state that it needs to be. But I need to share with people who understand. So I have um, a couple of different groups. And what's good is I have some Facebook groups that I can share into. So I need to be able to talk to people who get it the other thing I do and I've done more of but I need to actually it's something I need to work on even more is I've started to develop uh, a virtual support group so I have some people on mess in a messenger group who are there for me so and even though I know that like if I'm at a birth actually I'll know that you know if it's two in the morning um, and I'm kind of, I walk out of the room and I've got a little pause, a little break that I, I can say something into that group. Nothing that identifies my client, but it's about, it's about what's going on for me at that time. So if I've seen something that feels uh, like if I've witnessed something where I feel that the birthing person's boundaries were crossed or um, they was, you know, spoken to in a way that um is you know it's been really hard for me here and I've tried to advocate or you know things like that where it it really impacts me 
um, on that personal and political level, I can just say that into the messenger group and know that the people who are there that read it, they understand me and understand yeah. my my personal politics. So they'll understand how that resonates in my body and my psyche. So having that place both during birth and then after birth for me to be able to express what's gone on for me, um, that's really important for me to be able to say that because I came to this work because I – you know, I do want to rehumanize birthing people. You know, that's a part of what I'm doing, and uh, to bring that dignity and re- and to rehumanize people in that space, and to advocate for uh, equity, and to advocate for people to be seen and heard. And so, when that doesn't happen, that's pain for me. You know, that's like a spiritual pain for me. So that will drain me, and I need to t- I need to speak to people who get me and understand me. And that's a big part of the way that I care for myself is that I need to be seen and heard as well. So, um, the groups that I communicate in and get support from, mostly it's about me being able to say, "Here's what happened. This is why it hurts." You know. I want better and it's not here yet and that hurts me. And mm. just to know that that's a safe space for me to be able to debrief in that way is probably the the biggest thing that I do. And it is so important, I think, having a space where you feel, you do feel seen and you feel heard and it's a group where exactly as you say, people do understand you. So if you are tired and you are word vomiting and you're maybe not expressing mm. yourself in the most articulate whatever way that you want to express it, that that then isn't going to be met, um, I don't know, with like the grammar police or whatever, mm. <laughs> like saying, oh, I don't know that you should be using those terms and I don't know if you should be speaking like that because, again, it's, it is just about putting putting the intention out there and people already know what your intention is so you don't have to keep explaining yourself. I think that's so, 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 so important when you're looking for a support system that it's it's not as simple as going potentially. It might be for some people but not just going to a generic group of people who also do birth work. You really do want to have, I always talk about having at least three people you can call on at any time of the night or day who fundamentally understand you and get you and that you can say what you need to say without them going, you did what? You said what? What are you you on about? Like it's just an expression of being able to get that literally, like literally get it out of your system. Yeah, yeah. And and also people who won't who won't back the system when you need people to get that the system was oppressive, like, or, or harming. So for me to say, you know, this, this happened, like, so I might say, Oh, you know, I, I witnessed someone having like, uh, their, you know, what I would term as obstetric violence, you know, somebody's perineum was cut without their consent. And I was a witness to that last night and to be able to just say that in the groups that I'm a part of, they get what I'm saying Mm. without me having to describe the whole scene or justify. But, you know, in the early days when I was um, attending at birth, you know, if I had said that to somebody, there were certain groups or certain people who would just want to back the system. Oh, well, they know best and oh, well, this and, you know, it's like, well, you know, actually consent is is still a human right you know like Mm. this is that's actually sexual assault you know like I don't want to have to get into that conversation with people so Mm. I now choose who I have those conversations with and I limit how much I share I just say this is the part and I know that people get it so as Mm. soon as I've written it into that group I know that I'm seen Oh, that's, it's good. It's good that we've talked about this because I think um, something I like to share in every episode is people are probably getting the theme now is just getting different self, self-care self ideas from different people because sometimes it seems obvious or you, you know, look on Google or whatever and it's like, yep, so many times it's a conversation about here's something I am doing and here's something else I probably need to be working on. Knowing that this is a lifelong process of self-awareness, not about, again, here's my grid, have I ticked off all the things on my grid and now I'm like made of steel kind of thing. It's just to inspire and, you know, check in and have people go, oh, yeah, that's something I could be doing or, oh, yeah, that's not working quite so well for me. So I'm glad you shared that. And I think too, and and again, like 
I think I love that you're having this conversation too, Erin, because I do think we need to continue to talk about this concept of self-care because people, it is almost like uh, it's a a really interesting kind of area now where the way that um, self-care has been branded and that, yeah, people think that, like I would have to say I'm not always good at self-care. Like it's it's not, I ha, you know, my world is not set up. I do so many things that sometimes it means that I'm not able to care for myself in the way that probably is optimal, but mm. I'm, I'm working on it. You know, I'm always trying to kind of look at what I need and learn what I need and learn about myself and what will work for me. And it's a, it's always a work in progress. But I think sometimes the conversations I hear especially who work in people who work in the community, there is this sense of you need to have a practice that is it, that's, that sort of sorts you out and fixes you up. Mm. But, you know, but, you know, watching an unconsensual uh, act of someone's perineum being cut, that's not, I can't, you know, there's nothing I'm going to ever be able to do to make myself feel better about that, you know. So there's mm. certain things that happen that, will always stay with me and you know it's what I do with that energy that I have for that you know like what will I do in the future is there anything I can do differently in my practice Uh, is there anything I could do in my advocacy can I check in with my client is there anything we could have done differently you know like but sometimes you just have to say you know that was really hard it hurt Um, and you know place that kind of blame for a want of a better word where it belongs like that you know sometimes we we work with people and we hear stories or we see things that really that really do hurt us and no self-care is going to we can't fix that so we're always having to you know it is a work in progress and that we're always having to do things and try things um but we're never kind of done and and that sometimes you know all the self-care in the world won't absolve you know these things that happen that we're witness to you know that we have the privilege mm. of being witness to and that but there will it, it is important because I think that's the message we want to be filtering back to birthing people when they've had a traumatic birth is that there's definitely things that we can do to shift and change and grow but there is no magical fuzzy puppy unicorn thing that you can do to erase how you feel about your experience to just like completely wipe it out. And that is part of the, that is part of the growth, I suppose, is the discomfort and the the end goal is to not ever get to a point where we are seeing and experiencing and feeling horrific things and having no emotional response to it. That's not the yes. goal. That's not the goal such I a, would ever want. <laughs> yes, that's it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. Yeah, we we are, you know, when when we become, you know, when we become um, like non-responsive to things, when we don't have that sense of, um, you know, emotional response or felt sense, then we've we've now dehumanized ourselves in mm. in the act of trying to do this work. And so that is not what we want. Let's not that have. That is a, not what we want. No, we want to be able it. to show up as our full selves. Yeah. Is there something that you're reading, listening to, watching that other birth workers might find interesting, useful, inspiring? Again, it doesn't have to be anything like, you know, <laughs> don't want to put you on the spot, but I was thinking <laughs> it's a good space to be like, oh, yeah, I read this or I saw this or is there something you'd like to direct people towards if they want to learn more about any of the stuff that we've talked about today? Wow, there's so much online. Um I'm not particularly at the moment because what I'm doing actually right now is reading uh, fiction and things like that because it's kind of, I suppose that would be considered part of the way I'm caring for myself is I'm actually, um, I've got a whole heap of different books that are fiction because I wanted to immerse in things that are uh, more escapism and fantasy and those sorts of things to kind of bring that kind of joy into my life more. So I'm not actually reading that much Um, in terms of, the self-care kind of, uh, you know, piece that we were just kind of touching on there. I actually would always recommend uh, a woman. Her name is Vicky Reynolds. 
And, you know, years ago I was working in the family violence sector and I was trying to um, understand more about like these ideas I had around that, you know, this concept, this branding that I, well, I say branding of self-care and the way that community sector workers were working with trauma, but then being told, oh, you just need to do more yoga or meditation <laughs> to feel better with this work. And I was like, this isn't right. Anyway, she, I came across her a few years back and um, actually she's, she's in Canada. She's based in Canada, but I actually started to have supervision with her because my organization wasn't providing me any supervision as well. That was the other thing. Oh, that's a whole so nother topic. Whole nother yes, mm. Exactly. Um, and so I thought, well, this person is speaking my language and I going to claim the best for myself as kind of a radical act and I emailed her and I had some supervision with her via Skype and so I would highly recommend anybody who's kind of interested in unpacking this concept of self-care for themselves and how do they not burn out in the work and also how do they not project their internal kind of uh, sense of oppression from the systems that we work in how do they not project that onto the people they work with I would definitely recommend to have a listen to her on videos and um, also read her she's actually put her whole thesis online as well which is brilliant it's called um, she talks about justice doing work that a lot of us who work in the community in all different ways we come to provide justice and um, how do we not burn out in our justice doing work so um that's really great so vicky reynolds and her website she's actually in melbourne at the moment i think there's still some spaces for some of her workshops as well um but that, yeah that was just timely a, <laughs> yes i know a lot of them are sold out i'm actually not able to get to any of them but i've been to a fair few of them before actually and um yeah, definitely that. In terms of, I mean, the resource I mentioned before for anybody who's really just trying to check in on what, you know, check in on what they don't know, you know, mm. what they don't know that they don't know in terms of working with the queer community, working with LGBTIQA plus people, you know, um, the resource I mentioned before, just look up genderbred person as a starting point and, and go from there. If you want to check in on what is it that you don't know that you don't know, start with that, I would say. But there's a whole lot of other stuff online. Maybe I can actually grab some links. Do you, do you provide resources for people, links for people? Absolutely. Under Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I'll, um, I'll have a think and um, I'll send you some links as well. Brilliant. That would be so great. Thank you for those resources. Um, is there anything you want to plug for yourself? <laughs> um, I actually am doing supervision for birth workers as well so if anybody feels like anything that I've said resonates for them and they feel like they want to unpack things a little bit more uh, and you know even this concept we've talked about with the self-care and how to um, you know come back to the joy of the work without and you know and without feeling like you're going to project things onto the people you work with or you just want to feel like you can show up more I'm actually doing supervision now so fantastic um, yeah so I've done that a lot in community sector work but I haven't done it specifically with anybody who works in birth but um yeah I'm starting to do that now and so if anybody would like to talk about that and talk about, you know, what they need and, and what that might look like for them, then, yeah, definitely shoot me an email. Okay. I'll put the, um, I'll put the links and everything in rather than having to spit it all out. Yeah. Is there any other points you want to hit home on before we finish up? I feel like we've, we've had a pretty juicy conversation, hey? Mm. It's been... I've loved really. it. I've loved it's it so great. much. Yeah, and thank you so much for the opportunity to just speak my truth. I really, I really appreciate you for you know you've you've clearly had to go to a place of you know reflecting and vulnerability for yourself, Erin. So thank you, you know, so much because the you know these conversations I know they can be challenging for people, and you know you've made this space today for people to hear this, and I really really appreciate that. So it's funny, just as I've been finishing up the editing for this podcast episode, these massive, massive, like there's 20 of them, 
crew, flock, tribe, posse, whatever you want to call them, of black cockatoos have just been like flying overhead, screeching and making like this amazing racket, which you would think initially like, oh, that's kind of an inconvenience. I'm going to have to stop. It's getting in my way. But I think what a greater example to just sit back and look at the joyfulness of, oh, okay, that's something a bit unexpected. And I'm kind of hoping that's a bit of the theme of today's episode, something that maybe you've sort of had on the periphery of like, oh, yeah, all right. I, I know about this kind of, you know, gender and diversity sort of stuff, but then do you really? <laughs> like, And do you maybe need to do a little bit more work on it and go back to this idea that learning is lifelong and to fully support and care for people, we need to practice in a trauma-informed way. Um, and that includes thinking about trauma from all angles. So if you've felt a bit unsettled by some of this, that's not necessarily a bad thing and you're not necessarily going to be alone in that. I think it is just about sitting with it and realising, all right, what do I need to do next? Has it brought up some unconscious, subconscious biases that you didn't know you had around being an expert and wanting to be right and all that kind of stuff? Um, Has it made you feel isolated if you're a birth worker who's identifying with some of the stuff that we've been talking about and realizing that you don't actually have a lot of support in your life so whatever it is I guess the thing is sit with it let the uncomfortable feelings just sit and accept that they're there and then do something with it whether that be get some mentoring get some supervision get some support do some reading go to a workshop whatever it might be that is going to enhance and expand your life and make you know working with people even more joyful the resources that sheridan mentioned will be on my website drerin.com.au and again don't forget you can find out all about the progress of this online birth trauma training for birth workers course again on the website um there's links to the facebook group as well i think other than that enjoy the rest of your week